This is the Motherlands Podcast. The intention of this podcast is to provide evidence-based information related to fertility, pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum, as well as share positive birth stories. I am your host, Keely Semler. I hope 2024 is off to a great start. I couldn't think of a more perfect guest to kick off the new year. She is very special to me personally. She has been my mentor, my confidant. The guest is the legendary Julie Freitas. Julie was a childbirth educator and doula for over 40 years. She taught in hospitals, clinics, and in her home in Los Angeles. Her intimate style of teaching was coveted by the hundreds of families she taught from all different cultural backgrounds. In this episode, Julie describes the way in which women give birth has changed over time. We also discuss postpartum depression, breastfeeding, sleep training, and the early days of parenting. Perhaps the most profound thing she said was that you could do everything you were told is right in terms of preparing for pregnancy, birth, and parenthood, and yet it might not work for your child. What a beautiful reminder that we actually are not in control and that the true journey of parenthood is best endured with a little bit of patience and flexibility. I'm really excited to talk to you and actually be able to share some amazing Julie stories. First, I would love if you could just share a little bit about your background teaching childbirth education and maybe how you got into this work. Okay, so many, many years ago, I'm 73 now, so when I was in my early 20s, I was directing a nursery school program and I had a nice boyfriend. We were having a really good time. He was an artist and and he decided that he wanted to break up with me, which was kind of sad for me. And it was sort of like I didn't drink or I didn't do drugs and he wanted someone who was like cool. But I was cool. I just didn't engage in those things. So we broke up, and a few months later, I wasn't feeling really well. And I went to the doctor, and he couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And I didn't know what was wrong with me either. And I was talking to my best friend from college. And she said, well, maybe you're pregnant. And I said, I couldn't be pregnant. I used birth control. And she said, well... I got pregnant on my wedding night. I'm Catholic, and it sounds like you're pregnant. (laughs) So I went to this organization called Birthright because it was free, and I was young and didn't have a lot of money. And I had a pregnancy test, and it was positive. And this lovely woman said, if you want to relinquish your baby for adoption, we'll help you. If you want to keep your baby, we'll help you. But if you want to do something else, we can't assist you. And I went home and I thought about it. And I decided that I was going to keep the pregnancy. And I just wasn't going to tell anybody. Like, it was nobody's choice except mine. So for five months, nobody knew I was pregnant. And I kept teaching nursery school. Then I went home to visit my parents. And my mom said, you're pregnant. You have to get an abortion. I go, I'm not getting an abortion. I'm keeping the child and that's it. And so I kept teaching and had the support of my best friend from college and her husband. Then one day, my ex-boyfriend called and said he missed me. And I went to his apartment. I was eight months pregnant. And he said, you're pregnant. And I go, yeah. 
He goes, whose is it? I said, it's yours. I've never slept with anybody else. (laughs) He goes, you have to get an abortion. I don't want any children. I go, okay, but I'm not getting an abortion. I'm never going to ask you for anything, but I'm keeping this pregnancy. So then we started seeing each other. You know, we really were in love before, and I think we still were. Then I was going to a doctor that had been recommended by Birthright, who definitely had some room for improvement, but we won't talk about him too much. But he said, you're a small girl and you have a big baby. I think we should plan a cesarean date. And I go, well, I took childbirth education classes, and that is not what I want. And I learned that I don't have to sign up for a cesarean without having a trial labor. So I went and interviewed three different doctors to try and find someone else to assist me with my birth. And at that time, 50 years ago, they were arresting midwives that did home birth. Home birth was illegal. Right. And midwives couldn't deliver in the hospital either. Where was this? Was this in I was in San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco. Yes. So I went to the first doctor and... He lit up a cigar, and I thought, I don't think this is the guy for me. And then I went to the second doctor, and when I told him I wanted a natural birth unless there was a problem with me or the baby, he started laughing, and he said, ha, all you women think you want natural birth. You wait till you have the first contraction. You'll be begging me for drugs. And I go, no, I don't think I want him either. How did you know you wanted to try a natural childbirth? How did you come to that understanding or that commitment to wanting to try for a natural childbirth? After taking classes and listening to the woman teach and listening to how some medication affects our ability to give birth and sometimes will stop labor or sometimes affects the baby in an adverse way, I thought, if I can, I want to try and have the safest birth possible, and I want to do everything I can to have a vaginal birth. I'm not interested in having major surgery unless there's a problem with me or the baby. I just don't want to elect to do it. And then I went to the third doctor, who was an hour and a half away, and he goes, I don't see why you can't do this. That's fine with me. I had to travel pretty far to go to him. I went into labor three weeks late, which they don't let you do anymore. What was that like for you having to wait three weeks past your due date? Well, because it was okay back then, I didn't hear all the terrible things that could possibly happen. I also felt like I knew that the baby was okay. You have this intuition as a woman, as a mother. You just feel like you would know. And I really wasn't worried. And the doctor kept saying, any day now, or hey, it's a full moon tomorrow, maybe you'll go into labor tomorrow. And what happened is, Peter, he drove a yellow cab in San Francisco, city cab rather. And Peter uh, was your partner, right? Yes. And so he had just come home at six in the morning, and I felt like I was in labor, but I wanted him to have some sleep. So he went to sleep, and I went to the grocery store to get some food so we could have some stuff, you know. (laughs) And then I came home and rested a little bit and then finally woke him up, and then we traveled, and I thought, well, maybe I'll have my baby pretty soon. And I get there, and I'm like two centimeters. (laughs) The doctor actually 
let me use his house because he couldn't come into San Francisco because he was going to use a midwife because when you do a home birth, you have to have an assistant. So he said, if you want, you can use my house. So we actually drove out to his house and he checked me and I was two centimeters. And he said, well, um, things are going well. You're two centimeters. I think you should go for a hike. (laughs) (laughs) So I went, okay. And then we went for a hike for about an hour and a half. And he lived sort of in the wilderness. So it was absolutely beautiful. And I'd stop every time I had a contraction and breathe. And that was really helpful. And use the tools that I had learned from the wonderful class that I was taught. And then it was time to go back to the house and really focus on the contractions. Luckily, I didn't know, but the baby was in a brow position, which is not a really great position for birthing. And he called in the assistance of a midwife. And when she came in, somehow her presence, and I didn't even know what was going on. Luckily, he didn't tell me. And it's helpful not to tell someone when there is a situation that could change, because that makes them more anxious and tense. So the midwife came in, and luckily, within an hour, the baby had changed position. For the listeners, can you explain what a brow position is? So the baby is coming face forward. Face first. Instead of the top of his head. So we did some rocking. Some pelvic rocking? Pelvic rocking. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, rock and roll, I guess. And (laughs) the baby rolled into a better position. Then finally, it was time to push. And I was very tired by then. And he said you know, you're, you're ready to deliver, you can push now, here, feel the baby's head. And I said, I can't, I'm too tired. And he took my hand, and he put it on my baby's head. That's how far down the baby had been. Nobody realized how fast it went in the end. But I mean, it was long, but in the end, it went pretty fast. And when I touched his head, I just immediately got this energy, and I was ready to go. <laughs> and I pushed the baby out. Everything was fine, except he had a true knot in his cord. He had done a somersault in utero. And if they had ultrasound back then, I would have had a cesarean, because that is dangerous to have a true knot. Did you have any ultrasounds during there, your pregnancy? There wasn't back then, 50 years ago. No ultrasounds. Would they do ultrasounds if someone had a, a special problem? circumstance? Or you you know, know, I can't remember. It was x-ray, not ultrasound, but they didn't do it unless it was indicated. So they, I love that. Uh, they didn't know. And if he had a short cord, it would have been you know, pretty dangerous, but I think the cord had enough length that it didn't pull tight. So the baby had oxygen, and he was born, and he had a, a really good APGAR score, and he was almost nine pounds. Wow. And, and how long was your labor? About... 20 hours. All right. And he started nursing right away. It went really well. So who was at that birth? Your doctor, your midwife, or the midwife assistant? The doctor was there and a certified nurse midwife to assist him. And then Peter was there. And actually, my cousin and her husband, who had had a home birth with this particular doctor and who had recommended him, they were there also. Amazing. Yeah. 
Can you speak to what it was like for your partner and what it was like for him in labor and after you gave birth? And also, how did your relationship shift? Yes. So when we were going home back to San Francisco from Inverness, unbeknownst to me, he went and decorated the car with beautiful flowers that he had picked in the wilderness there. And he just said that he was just so impressed with how I navigated labor and my choices, and that he was kind of afraid for everything. I had taken childbirth class alone because I wasn't back with him yet. But we eventually got married, and we had a lot of really good times and some hard times, as every relationship has its good times and hard times. And working out times. But, you know, eventually we got older and eventually, unfortunately, Peter died. And before he died, he said, even though I had told you I didn't want children, the children were the best part of my life. And he had been a successful artist and was very talented and did a lot of things. But that was his words to me. And beautiful. That's so, so beautiful. After you had your son, is that when you knew you wanted to work in childbirth? After I had him and recognized what my experience was like and what it would have been like without getting educated and without having that kind of support, I thought, I want to give other people this opportunity. So I started learning from my teacher. There weren't a lot of childbirth education classes back then, and Dulu wasn't really popular back then either. Well, what was popular? The Bradley method that Very just came Bradley, out? Bradley, and my method that I took was Grantley Dick Reed. Right, and who uh, was your teacher? Is Margaret Farley. So it was yeah. childbirth without fear. Mm-hmm. Not childbirth without medication or childbirth without going to the hospital. It's not being fearful about where you are and the whole process of labor and birth. So I started learning. I started assisting her and, and teaching with her. And I actually then wanted to be a midwife and started taking nursing courses and heading toward that. But I recognized that I was a better educator than I'd be as a midwife. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, that sounds similar to what's happening with me, too. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we have to experiment with a profession and see if that's a fit for us. And sometimes it's a fit for a while. And then something inspires us to train for something else. And I felt like my teacher had influenced me so much. And I moved down to L.A. and I stayed in touch with her. She just was so wonderful that I feel like I keep her alive through what I do. I teach people what she taught me. Yeah, and I get to teach my clients what you taught me. So I feel very lucky that your work gets to live on through how I teach too. So that's like the old school midwifery apprenticeship style of learning, which feels like is sort of dead now. Well, it's interesting because she didn't charge to train me. And back then, it was an honor to train people in the profession that you loved Mm -hmm. and to see people want to do goodness in the world. It's just different now. Everything is based on monetary gain. And we have to remember that being a midwife, being a doula is a heartfelt occupation. Certainly, you should get money for your work. 
But it's not like being a movie star or some other professions that give you or a, a social lot of media money. influencer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you had your son, you moved to LA. And then you started teaching childbirth education out of your home. How did that lead into birth doula work? Although back then it wasn't called birth doula work. It was called birth attendant, right? Labor support. Labor support, yeah. Can you speak a little bit about that? I was teaching many different places, and I worked with the Pregnancy and Natural Childbirth Education Center first before I taught at home. I kind of trained with them and got certified with them before I wasn't certified, but you didn't have to be certified. And anybody <laughs> could certify you because there's no regulations. So that's kind of wild. But I did choose to be certified because you had to be certified to work in the hospital back then. And also, if your husband went with you to the hospital to be led into the room with you, he had to have a certificate or a card that said he took childbirth education classes. How's that for back then? Would they not let the birth partner in if they didn't have that? No. Wow. And so once, when coupled the guys in the hospital, and he forgot his card, <laughs> and he asked if I'd bring him another one so I didn't have to leave his wife. So I had to drive down to Cedar sinai and bring him a card. That's so funny. things were a lot different. But anyway, so I, I taught through the Pregnancy and Natural Childbirth Education Center, and then I started teaching at LACC and Valley College, and I taught prenatal exercise. I taught early pregnancy classes, which was a really good thing to do to have people know their choice earlier than later. Mm -hmm. And then I started teaching some classes in my home and working with the Home Birth Service of LA. I also made it a point to teach one class on anesthesia and cesarean birth so people weren't afraid of that and they could recognize that they were successful when they had a healthy baby and that they were healthy. Mm. A healthy mom, healthy baby, and healthy partner person, whether it be a dad partner or a woman partner, whoever. Then I covered postpartum also and I had a doctor who would come and he and I would do a class on what it's like after the baby comes for the first couple of weeks. And we do it's like room. a little skit, right? Yeah, it was room for improvement, dad, and good dad. And it was pretty funny. You, you remember it? Yeah, we used to do that That's together right. too. That's right. You got to be the room for improvement, dad, and, and you would have a fake pack of cigarettes and come in in your bathrobe and be like, why is the home a mess? Like, it's so messy. Like, what have you been doing all day? That's you know? right. That's right. And I, I said, let's leave the baby with a sitter and go out at night, have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I just started teaching in different places and just built up a practice you weren't allowed to have a business out of your home either back then, which is interesting because now people work from home and do all kinds of things. So there were all kinds of regulations and rules. And, and I taught at Cedars. I taught at Hollywood Press Hospital. Were you teaching the doctors or were you teaching the nurses or you were teaching patients? I was teaching patients, but I spoke at conventions. I spoke to doctors. They have to take some training to renew their certificate. 
And I would often be a featured speaker, which was wonderful because I could talk about how important it is for people to get educated. Some doctors didn't like to take people that had doulas or took classes because they wanted to be in control. I'm really curious. You kind of spoke to this a little bit earlier. You said a couple things were different back then. Number one, that midwives were illegal. Number two, that people who did choose to give birth in the hospital, the partners had to have some sort of certificate saying that they took a class on childbirth, which is also different. Can you speak to how much the culture around childbirth has changed since you gave birth? Wow. (laughs) Well, a long time ago, men weren't interested in being part of the birth. Mothers were anesthetized. They were sometimes given general anesthesia and put out completely. And what, when was that? That was like that, your mother's yes, generation. Yes. And then it evolved to having spinals and epidurals so you wouldn't feel any pain. They just assumed that women didn't want to feel any pain. And then women started wanting a different experience. And a lot of Publicity was around the farm, and Ina Mae Gaskin, who became a midwife, it really influenced people who were thinking of having children to have babies a different way. But most of the birthing took place in the hospital. Birth centers started to be really popular as an alternative where you could have more say in your experience because when you go to the hospital they have to protect themselves from being sued which is hard for them i mean we've got to have compassion for the restraints that they have too because we want compassion for what we want but it's not easy to run a hospital either so they have rules and regulations before one nurse was with you for your entire labor and you stayed three days in the hospital at least and now that's right you still have the receipt from your mom's was it your mom or your brother for your brother for my brother's birth and that was at cedars right yes do you remember what the bill was i think it was 129 dollars and she had a spinal anesthesia and how long was she there and he was breech birth and i think they used forceps and I, i think she stayed Five days. Wow. Yeah. And I gave that bill, I made a copy, or I gave the original bill to a wonderful doctor who's still practicing in Beverly Hills, Dr. Paul Crane. Yes, he still has it in his office. (laughs) Yes, I framed it and he hung it up in his office and he still has it. Yep. The last time I saw him, he's like, hey, look. Yeah. It's hanging up right here. 45 years later, (laughs) of all the doctors I've worked with, he was one of the most compassionate, generous, kind, fabulous doctors. He called me and he said, could you come in? I'd like to meet you. The people that I've had that took your class do really well. And I just want to know who you are. And I came in and we had an interview. He said, well, I'm really glad to meet you. I can't recommend you because you work with home birth, but I really like you. Well, maybe I'll send you one or two couples. I don't know. And then I walked out, and from then on, he sent me tons of people, 
And I was uh, the labor support person for a lot of those clients. And so I worked with him many, many, many times. And when someone was going to a doctor that had room for improvement, that's the way I say that they were not suitable and were cesarean happy. I'd say to the couple, are you liking your doctor? Well, our insurance covers him. Well, do you like him? He's okay. I said, I'd like you to have an opportunity to meet someone else. Would you be open to that? Well, I don't know. Uh, Maybe. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll pay for you to have the interview with them and see how you like them. And I would go with them to Dr. Crane, and almost every single one of them changed. Yeah. Except for one, they said that they couldn't go to him because he was too good looking and she couldn't (laughs) handle that. But that was her loss. But otherwise, almost every single person that I brought to Dr. Crane changed. Yeah, he's still amazing. Amazing, amazing. Absolutely. So your childbirth education classes, they were very different than all the other classes. Can you speak to what your style was and how you taught classes? I mean, I know it was here in your home, but you know, how many couples did you take and you know, how often you met and, and a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I also taught at Westside Women's Health Clinic for 18 years. So I taught all the Medi-Cal people that delivered at UCLA Hospital and another hospital that were on Medi-Cal. I didn't make very much money there, but I really influenced a lot of people to have a better experience. And I made money in other places where I taught. And that's part of what we do. And those people remember me. I get holiday cards from them. Yeah, Um, we can't go anywhere in public without someone coming up to you being like, Julie Freitas, you taught me 40 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love when they say, remember me. And I said, well, I'm I'm Remind me. Remind me who you are again. (laughs) Exactly. I think the thing that makes me so different is I teach the goal to be healthy mother and healthy baby over anything. And I don't say if you do my method, then you'll have a fantastic birth without any pain. When people teach like that, it's an illusion, it's unfair. And then if you have a cesarean or you asked for an epidural because your birth was unusually challenging, then the educator says it's your fault, you should have practiced more. Mm. That it doesn't work for me. So after a while, I made anesthesia and cesarean part of my class which upset some people because they only wanted to hear about natural. They didn't even want to hear any information about anything else. And I said, this is a part of my class. You've, you've got to have this part. I will end with normal birth, but I want to not give you every detail, but I want you to be accepting of it. Mm. And for a while I did birth plans because that was really popular a long time ago. And then I decided to stop doing that. The longer your birth plan was and the more you thought you could control everything and direct everybody who'd be there, the worst experience those people <laughs> seem to have. For so sure. to be open and flexible and not have a lot of people there that you think you have to be hospitable to <laughs> allowed for the best results. Do I have to come that many times? I go, yeah, it's eight weeks. 
at the clinic, I only could teach six weeks because that's all they gave me. And so I had to consolidate it a little bit. And I wrote my own workbook. They wanted me to use something else. It was very academic. And I don't think that when you teach childbirth education, you have to make nurses and midwives academic information. I think practical and hands-on and learning the breathing and learning labor support for your partner is so much more important than learning the academics of birth and, and all the things that could happen to you. What do you think makes a good doula in supporting clients that have different backgrounds or different religions? How did you support people even though you didn't agree with their perspective or their religion or their culture? That's a wonderful question. I am there to support who they are. And that's why in-person teaching is so important because you can get a feeling Who is this woman? Who is her partner, whether it be a woman or a man? And how can I reach them? Are they academic? Are they more hands-on? Yeah. And to really say, what will feed them? What do I know that I can give them that feeds who they are? Not what I think I would need, but what, what would they need? And sometimes I would get nurses or doctors in my class, and they spent a lot of time studying abnormal labor and birth and maybe two weeks on normal labor and birth. And so their head is filled with abnormal labor and birth. And I have to really work on them to put that aside and focus on normal labor and birth. They were some of my most challenging students. Or the people that in the first class, I'd have them introduce themselves and tell me their name and what they thought they wanted from their birthing experience. And I had some people say, I want an epidural with the first contraction. So I thought, okay, you know. (laughs) And at the end of class, they'd go, maybe I'll try non-Medicaid labor and birth, but I'm not sure. Would you go with me? I go, maybe, you know, and so I got a lot of clients from teaching because they trusted me because they spent a lot of time with me. And that was really good because we knew each other well. And that's why it's so important as a labor support doula person to have some visits with them before the labor and a visit or two after to nurture their beginning of parenting. And there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear because there's so much information on the internet and people are reading it, and yet who's speaking to them, you're not knowing who they are. They could be a wacko job and telling you what you should do or what you should know, and you don't know that. There's a lot of wacko jobs out there. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. Yeah. You know, the people that I really respect and want to listen to are the people that work hard on their relationship that they have, that actually are present when they choose to be parents and not relinquish it to others completely and then tell you what to do and how to bond with your child. And also, there's no guarantee of of results of anything. You could eat really healthy, have a perfect partner, exercise every day, breastfeed, do all of it, and something doesn't work out like you thought. I've seen people that hardly practice what I taught them and have a three-hour labor, and other people that did everything that was popular during that decade, and they needed a cesarean birth to have a healthy child. Why? It's not supposed to be that way. Because we don't have control. We don't know what we have to learn. 
Mm. What do we have to learn with what we were given today? How can we be accepting that it was different than what we had anticipated? How could we move forward with this experience? I used to also visit people who were having postpartum depression and try and figure out why. Lots of time they just needed help in the house because the baby needs so much in the first three months. And if they asked for help, which is very challenging to most of us, and asked support to other things that aren't the baby, like the laundry, the groceries, the cleaning the house, maybe taking care of some of the other children a little bit. But it's so hard, hard to ask for the support that we need so that we don't get overwhelmed with this new experience of having another child or having our first child. Yeah. It's hard to be prepared for how much time a new child takes and how many times you have to get up in the middle of the night unless someone convinces you to have sleep training. What do you think about sleep training? It's one of my pet peeves. I do not like early sleep training. What do you think is early sleep early, training? I'd say in the first nine months, <laughs> because eventually the child learns to sleep on your agenda. But at first, they can only hold a very little bit of milk, and they need to refuel and have some more milk. And whether it comes from your breasts, a syringe, an eyedropper, a spoon, whether you feed, the husband feeds, or the partner or nanny feeds, if they feed with love, that's what's important to give the baby. But to leave the baby screaming so he learns that nobody's going to come and tend to his needs, whether he's hungry or he's having a growth spurt, or he saw something during the day that frightened him and he wants to express himself with the only way he can, which is crying. And to ignore that, it's sort of like, let's say your partner's upstairs and it's three in the morning and you're in the kitchen getting something to eat and you hear him crying and he's crying. Do you just yell up the stairs, self sues, honey, it's three in the morning? Or do you go up there and say, what's going on? How can I support you in what you're going through? That's called being human, being compassionate. Later, after they're older, and if they're continually getting up, maybe they have some digestion situation. Sometimes it takes a while to, for their digestion to develop. And so they have gas for a while, but that eventually goes away. And eventually they get all their teeth. At about two years, they start sleeping through the night normally. You think, oh, I'm such a good parent now. I wonder what I did to create this. It just evolves generally. Mm. They don't really know you're ever coming back. They're helpless. And sometimes just they open their eyes and look at you and go back to sleep. They're also so cute. And then when you wake <laughs> up, you're looking, they're so cute. And again, you could do everything right, and your child could grow up and have some situation. So we're in control of how we parent, but not how our child turns out. Mm. We can influence them, but still, they have their own life that they came here to live, and we don't know what that is. But to tell them, no problem's too big, we can't solve together, I think all the way up through when you're parenting is a really important thing. Lots of people, they want to do the right thing, right? They think that breastfeeding, you have to breastfeed at any cost. And sometimes it's just so hard and it compromises too much of yourself that you have to be willing to adjust accordingly or pivot. Absolutely. I think 
that if you can breastfeed for the first three months, it's a gift to your child because they get immunities from anything that you've had as a child or anything you've been immunized against. But if you can't, to feed the baby with love and hold the baby. If you've had trauma, especially sexual trauma, it's very hard to breastfeed and it just brings up stuff for you again. And so to give yourself permission to not breastfeed and when someone says, aren't you breastfeeding? No. Why? It's personal, but I'm feeding my baby with love and the baby and I are very happy. Addressing it that way, it's nobody's business what you do. It doesn't make you a bad or or good parent if you do it or if you don't, but it is easier. You never leave the house without the food and it's always the right temperature and you don't have to wash the bottles after or sterilize them. And it's earthquake preparedness. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a beautiful reminder, though, for anyone listening who, if they've already given birth and they didn't have this smooth sailing breastfeeding journey, what a lovely reminder that as long as you're, you are feeding or you fed your child with love, and that's true with everything, not just feeding your baby, you know, how present you are. Not everyone can stay home and take off six months of work but you do the best you can with what you have, like you said. And that looks so differently to each one of us. But I think that there's a lot of judgment women place on themselves when they get pregnant and sort of the expectations and wanting to control can really spiral, right? Absolutely. If you are a new parent and you had your first child or whatever, second child, and you need to find a caregiver to help because you have to go back to work. What do you think makes a good caregiver? Well, someone like you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I employ someone like you. Somebody who can put their cell phone down when they come in and actually wants to be with your baby, has some education in early childhood and infancy. Sometimes people came from a large family and were in charge of other children, so they've experienced that. Someone who's healthy, who doesn't smoke or drink or do drugs, and I'd want to call some of their references, especially if they've worked for people before. And I want to see what that family's experience was having them as the caregiver. Someone who comes on time and someone who doesn't come sick all those kind of things. See, and this is timeless. This goes across space and time. These just general guidelines of figuring out how to find a good caregiver. Because I would say across the board, all of my clients are like, how am I going to find a caregiver? And where do I find a caregiver? Because I think online is a whole world. There's lots of websites where supposedly people are vetted that way. But Perhaps the most tried and true way of finding a caregiver is just asking people that you trust, you know, maybe neighbors, maybe friends, maybe family members, maybe just going for a walk in your neighborhood with your baby and perhaps running into another mother with her baby and and asking her if she has a caregiver. I would say all of my clients are like, hey, you're my doula. Can you help me find a caregiver after the baby comes? And that's not really my specialty, but I usually tell people, see who's in your neighborhood. And you could share, like there's nanny shares now. Do you know about nanny shares? Oh, that two people are using the same nanny. Yeah, right. I, I do. They had that back then as well. It makes it a little bit more affordable that way. 
One other thing I want to add is if you could have the person you hire come for a week before you have to go back to work and see how they are with your child and observe them with your child and tell them what you and your partner believe in child raising and this is how you'd like their behavior dealt with. Well, thank you so, so much for being willing to share a little bit about who you are. I mean, I know my life has forever changed knowing you, and I love you so much, and I know there are so many people that love you and love what you've done for them, so thank you so much. What we do for others, we do for ourselves, and what we gain from being kind, compassionate, having empathy, and doing with love is such a a wonderful gift. Mm, Totally. All right. Well, have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with friends and family and stay tuned for the next episode.